elevates trusting all is well well is all welcome 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 back to elevated frequencies reading segment i'm your host sherry also known as shy shy also known as nylaris um i am the narrator of what we've been reading um called akala warrior by neti okafor if this is your first time joining us, please, I encourage you to go back and read the or read along with us, Akata Witch. Before getting into Akata Warrior, as there is a big backstory but behind where the Oha Coven has came from, including Sunny, Chichi, Sasha, and Oru, their men- mentors, um, things that are just currently taking place. Uh, Last week, we ended with chapters 13 and 14, where things really got real for Sunny. She was face-to-face with death, dealing with the djinn in the basement per her punishment or consequences for doing what she did on behalf of Chuku, her older brother. Um, And now she's finally gotten out of that, but she knows now definitely she has to prepare for Ekwensu. Um, and I wonder if the spiders are going to come back up. I feel like they will as a way of helping her, um, and, and Yanwu. But we'll see because things are, again, taking a turn in a way of it being about Sunny and Yanwu, not so much more about the coven all four being together, but individually, there are some things that Enyanwu, Sunny's spirit face, has encountered or is a part of. And it's time for her to be accountable. Um, but that's just an observation that I'm, I'm, or my hypothesis of what may be going on. It may not be the case. But without further ado... Um, Let's go ahead and get into chapters 15 and 16 that we'll be reading this week. If you haven't already uh, followed me, please follow my Instagram at elevated underscore frequency FHZ. The reason for that is to keep up with all posts, um, updates, things of that sort. Um, Episodes are going to start back up soon, so please be in tune for that. And yeah, without further ado... Chapter 15, Wahala Day. A few nights later, Sunny walked into Anatov's hut with Chichi, Orlu, and Sasha. It was just past midnight. When they walked in through the outdoor and greeted their teacher, Anatov told them he had a special lesson for them tonight. Then he pulled Sunny aside. Come with me for a minute so we can talk, he said. Excuse us, he told the others. He tied his bushy dreadlocks on top of his head tonight. Sonny noted this. When Anatole tied up his dreadlocks, it always meant the lessons that night would be tough. They walked through the waist-high wooden front door labeled N. It was painted with black and white squares that Sonny had sensed learned were part of a protective juju that wove through the hut and the mile radius of forest around it. 
As soon as they were outside, Anatole reached into his pocket. When he brought his hand up, he blew green juju powder in Sunny's face. She immediately began to sneeze and sneeze. She stumbled back. What? Then she was overcome by another sneezing fit. Without a word, he brought out his juju knife and made several quick flourishes. He put his knife on the ground at his feet and then snapped both of his fingers in Sonny's direction. As soon as he did this, Sonny felt a force shove her backward. She stared at what remained in the place she just stood. She sneezed another five times as she watched the green mist shaped like herself float there, slowly dissipating into the air like thick smoke. It looked around as if shocked by its existence. What is that? Sunny said. Her stuffed nose made her sound nasally. You traveled fully into the darkness. When people with the ability do that and then return, they always bring something back with them, he said, staring at the green, sunny-shaped mist. It was almost gone now, but it was still looking around in shock. It made no sound, but Sunny could smell something. She couldn't find the words to describe it. It's like swimming in the ocean. You come out wet and when you dry, you're salty. You need to bathe. So I'm clean now? <laughs> Is being covered in sea salt dirty? Well, if I didn't do that to you, you'd become strange, he said. I've seen it happen. I didn't think I'd have to teach you how to perform bush medicine on yourself. Not so soon. But I guess when it comes to you all, things happen sooner than later. How do you feel? I need a tissue, he chuckled. Aside from your juju powder allergy. I feel lighter, like I just took off a heavy coat. Anatov looked pleased. And I, I can smell something she said, even with my stuffed nose. What is that? Why is it so strong? Anatov nodded. Can't describe it, right? Sunny shook her head. That's the wilderness, he said. They paused. Anatov looking pensively at Sunny. Sunny sniffed loudly. Then Anatov smiled and shook his head. What in Allah's name were you thinking when you did that to the society's capital, Sonny? I hope you've learned your lesson. You could have died in that basement. We all have been torn up, but the world would have moved on eventually. And you'd have been gone. Don't you understand yet? My bro- I knew it was your brother, he said, stepping closer. I know you love him. And that guy hurt him, badly, nearly killed him. But you are in a secret society, a real true one that is older than time. And we have rules 
strict, real, deeply upheld rule. While you were in the basement, Sugar Cream came to me angry as hell. She couldn't believe you'd do something so stupid. Do you know that? I have never seen her even break a sweat. But this night, she was shaking with fear and anger. I'm sorry, Sunny whispered. Tell that to your mentor and never ever cross that line again. We can't protect you if you do. Sunny's nose ran and now her eyes were tearing up too. You essentially died. That's what traveling fully into the wilderness requires, Anatole said bluntly. When it pulled you in, if you weren't Sunny Noazu, if you were Sasha or Oru or Chichi or any other kid without your specific ability, you'd have stayed dead. Do you understand this? Sunny took a deep breath as his words sunk in. I get it, she breathed. Good. He looked down his nose at her. You set Ogu and her young free. They were never really in prison, Sunny muttered. She was just ashamed. Hmm, he said, putting a long, long arm around her shoulder. When she looked up at him, his nose ring glinted in the moonlight. Anatole, the defender of frogs and all things natural, couldn't defend her from everything. Come, he said. I assume you brought your usual box of tissues? Sunny laughed and smiled, wiping her tears with her hand. Yeah. He grasped her shoulder warmly, pulling her into a hug. He smelled of his favorite scented oil, Egyptian musk, and his caftan was scratchy. Good, he said. Good, Sonny. The four of them sat on the floor of Anatole's hut. Sonny had blown the heck out of her nose, but it still ran happily and freely. She pulled out another tissue, lifted her glasses a bit, and blew. By now, her nose probably looked red as a cherry. You okay? Olu asked. Get her some water, man, Sasha said, chuckling. With all that snot, she's going to get dehydrated. Tonight, Anatov loudly said. He spoke in Igbo. He did this often to help Sasha practice. In celebration of Sunny's return, I've decided to throw out the planned lesson and replace it with something I think you all need. Masking jujus. Jujus you use when you want to perform juju on or before around lambs, but do not wish them to see or know it. Sunny sat up straighter, deeply interested. There was juju for that? Lepers were allowed to perform juju on lambs? She looked at Chi-Chi, who looked equally surprised. One can perform juju on lambs and around them, he said. We know this happens, sure. We can't live around these people and not be able to do this. However, you must take precautions, and those precautions are not so easy. And people are lazy, ah? Huh? He switched to English, speaking with his African-American accent. They don't like to cover their asses. And if they mess up, well, you all know the consequences. 
He sat in his mahogany throne-like chair with his plush red seat. Lord knows that lambs can be damn annoying. With their silly materialism, hatred of education, and love of remaining stupid. They're obsessed with getting things fast, 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 with the least amount of work, books, no instruction. It's universal. <laughs> Who can blame lepers for wanting to throw some juju at them once in a while? He went on to show them several jujus they could do. Empty hands required a bit of common all-purpose juju powder and allowed one to punch someone without looking like one had done anything. Grace was a juju that you could do with only your juju knife. It allowed one to slip out of a situation unnoticed. Ujo only required a juju knife too. This bit of juju filled a lamb person with irrational crippling fear. It could be thrown from a distance of several feet, allowing the thrower to remain undetected. Both Sasha and Chichi were especially good at performing this one. I'm glad no lambs are around, Anatole said after watching both of them. You'll have to learn how to perform Ujo in strength grades. Unless you want the lambs you work it on to run off screaming and vomiting with hysterical fear every single time you use it on them. Use Ujo sparingly, Anatole stressed to all of them. Even a weak version of it can eventually cause brain damage when used on the same person more than once. Of all the things Anatole showed them this day, Sunny's favorite was Wahalade. This was another juju knife spell that caused small things to randomly go wrong. One's pants would fall down. One would slip or trip, make a wrong turn, drop one's plate of food. One's computer would suddenly crash. It only worked on lambs and it was an excellent way to slip out of a bad situation or just ruin someone's day. All four of them picked up on the jujus with only mild difficulty, and Anatole was pleased. I hope this will help you all keep you from any further trips to the Obi Library basement, or in your case, Sunny, worse. She felt her cheeks grow red. And Sasha, if you had known none of these, I'll doubt you'd be you'd have sent. And Sasha, sorry, if you had known some of these, I doubt you'd have been sent to Nigeria by your parents for being such a fool. Nah, I'd still have switched those two cops' minds, he said. Police require something serious, Olga. Chichi smiled at Sasha, and he looked ready to burst with pride. Orlu only rolled his eyes. Anatole sucked his teeth with loathing but in a fond kind of way. Their group wasn't his only group, but even Sonny knew they were his favorite. Chichi was his one mentee, and no elder took on a mentee unless he or she truly deeply loved and felt great, great confidence in that student. Sasha, like me, you definitely have African America running through your veins. Irrational, rebelliousness, straight out of Chicago. May the gods bless you.
and help you. Sasha jumped up and did the crib walk. I said Chicago, not Compton, Anatole said. South side, Sasha proclaimed, laughing. Anatole's nostrils flared as he clearly stifled a laugh. <laughs> anyway, so before you all return to the safety of your families, I'd like you to go to Leopard Knox and pick up some of the all-purpose powder that we used for Juju's today. But we have plenty of that already, Chi-Chi said. You have the yellow kind, he said. Get the white kind. It's the purest and best and safest to use with lambs. Just a tiny pound you can hide on your person or in your purse and keep it only for when you wish to deal with lambs. It was nearly 1 a.m. when they stepped up to the bridge to Leopard Knox. Finding the white juju powder wouldn't be easy. Anatole said it wasn't a big seller since it was juju powder that was exclusively for use on lambs. Sunny just hoped they could find it quickly so she could get a few hours of sleep before school tomorrow. She was exhausted and could barely hear herself think as she looked at the tree bridge. The noise of the crashing river always seemed louder at night. She stepped up to the large, smooth black stone and laid her hand on it. It was warm as she rubbed. The others were waiting behind her. She was so, so tired. More tired than anyone understood. She yawned as she stepped up and faced the narrow, slippery ridge bridge. She relaxed herself and brought forth her spirit face. She was going to shift into mist and blow across the bridge, but she was just too tired. So instead, she felt her limber body stretch and regalay began, and she regularly began to walk across the bridge. Feeling tall and stately, she pointed her sandaled toes as she walked across. She was like a ballerina gracing the stage, back straight, neck stiff, one foot in front of the other. She smiled softly as she looked down into the rushing water. The water gushed and coiled and thrashed as it tumbled downstream. What was it about this section of river that caused it to grow so turbulent? On each side, there were tangles of hanging trees, vines, and bushes both up and down river. How the trees grew at the river's edges was beyond her. The current should have carried them away. Hello, she whispered when she saw its great round face just below the wild waters. The river beast. It was the size of a house, and who knew what its full shape was? She'd never asked her friends, her teacher, or her mentor. She'd never wanted to show them that she was too curious about it. Their little game was between it and her and Yanawu. Every single time, 
She crossed the bridge to Leopard Knox. Even when she crossed that mist, it came up to watch her closely. Not casually, not nicely. Honestly, she had been afraid. The first time she'd crossed the bridge, it had nearly tricked her into falling into the river. And Sasha had saved her by grabbing her necklace. Lately, she was defiant, often stopping to look right back at the glaring monster who never broke the surface to show its certainly hideous face. Since her encounter with its cousin, the lake beast, she was downright audacious when she crossed the bridge. Why do you wait? Sunny said as Enyanwu. Her voice was deep and buttery. The voice of a sultry female radio DJ who played smooth jazz and midnight love songs. I am right here. What is it you seek from me? It was hulking below her. She could see the girth of it now. She chuckled. Sunny? Chi-Chi called behind her. Her voice traveled through the mist as if from somewhere else. And technically, it was. For the bridge linked the mundane world to the magical oasis that Leopard Knox sat upon, which existed on no land map. What is it you want? Sunny asked, kneeling down to look the river beast in its submerged face. This beast's cousin had dragged her into its water. The djinn had dragged her into a sort of water that led to the wilderness. And now here was this damn thing constantly threatening her with the same fate. Do you know who I am? She said. She knocked her knuckles to her wooden spirit face. I am Anyanwu. Sunny could only watch this other side of her taunt and heckle the river beast. Inside, she shook and cowered. Normally, she felt right in line with her spirit self. And Yanyu was strong and old, and Sunny loved how she taunted the river beast. And Yanyu was Sunny, but right now, Sunny was exhausted. She had no fight left in her. Not right now. And Yanyu, and 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 Yanyu was picking yet another fight. She rose up to her toes and then pointed her juju knife at the creature. The bridge shook and Sunny felt like her heart would explode because not only was it shaking, something was cracking. And Yanwu gracefully crouched, her juju knife held firmly in her hand. There was something thick green and wet, wrapped around the narrow bridge to her right. It looked like a mossy rope, a vine thicker than three fire hoses. No, a tentacle. Oh no, come on, not again, Sunny thought. But Enyangu laughed as the river beast finally surfaced. It was indeed the size of a house, 
as its shadow indicated. Craggy and pocked with calcium deposits and barnacle-like crustaceans, crustaceans, its horrible cranium was also covered with something like green-purple seaweed. The thing looked like a hideous sea garden. Its giant toothy maw was downturned and closed as it glared up at her with its dinner plate sized silvery eyes. She could smell it too, like sea flowers if sea flowers had a scent. Sweet, briny, and oily. It grunted and huffed and puffed out water at her, nearly blowing her from the bridge. The briny flower smell invaded her nostrils. Sunny, she heard Oru call. Are you all right? Yeah, she called back, still looking it in the eye. None of them could come and get her. Only one person could be on the bridge at a time. Sunny was alone here, but she'd asked for this. And Yanwu had. A green seaweed-covered tentacle reached for her, and she danced back. You missed, she said. Then, without a thought, she leaped. This was in Yanwu's impulsiveness, but it felt great to Sunny. She wasn't a super-fast thinker like Sasha and Chi-Chi, but there was a joy she experienced when she acted impulsively, and she felt it right now. In mid-leap over the tentacle, she glanced down at the raging river below. She remembered how cold its waters had been when she'd moved through it during her initiation. With its wild, churning, gray-white curtains, currents, no one would hear if she fell in, and they would certainly spirit her away within seconds. She landed gracefully on the side of the narrow bridge where she'd entered. The river's beast tentacle on the wood behind her. She was steps away from where Orlu, Chichi, and Sasha stood waiting to cross. She looked back and laughed. Her voice and Yanwu's deep baritone that made her sound like an arrogant, middle-aged, chain-smoking woman. The river beast grunted wetly. Then it shivered with surprise, and the crescent-shaped pupils of its silver's silver eyes widened. Sunny stopped and nearly fell to her knees. The images that burst in her to her mind stung sharply like angry attacking bees behind her eyes. Then she could have sworn she heard the river beast laughing. Or maybe it was shrieking because it too was experiencing the vision that moved through it to reach Sunny. It flooded in like river water. There was haunted music. The flute and the talking drum filled Sunny's line. Even the water below vibrated to the beat of the masquerade's tune. Then, she was looking at Ekwensu, the terrifying spirit she'd faced here last year. She grabbed the sides of her head and shook it. She shut her eyes. No, 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 no. She was already so weak. The vision kept coming, though. 
Ekwensu looked the same. A house-sized mound of packed palm fronds standing in front a place of green grass. The only difference was that she seemed to be constantly spilling out red beads from between her dry fronds. Some tiny as ants, some big as horseflies, and she was rising from the grass now. Two of the red beads seemed to fly at Sunny, and she flinched, snapping from her vision. One of the bigger beads hit Sunny's square between the eyes. And for a moment, there was a strange sensation of her drifting to the side when she wasn't. The bead bounced on the bridge's wood and rolled into the river. The second bead flew into the water, plunging in feet away from the river beast. This seemed to have to wake it, and when it did, it fled back into the deep. Sunny stared at with the, where the river beast had been, where the bead had flown, because the bead was real, a physical thing. Then she turned and ran off the bridge. Chi-Chi screamed with relief as Sunny emerged from the bridge. What happened? Chi-Chi shouted. We thought the river beast took you. It tried, Sunny tiredly said. Sasha and then Orlu came running. Sasha only touched Sunny's wet hair and hugged her head to his hip. Sunny leaned against him as Orlu knelt before her and took her hands. What happened? Orlu asked. His eyes were red and twitchy. Ekwensu, Sunny whispered. She's back. She threw a bead and it was real and... Chi-Chi used a drying juju on Sunny. She had to perform the spell twice because the first one left Sunny still damp and mildew smelling. The second one left her dry, perfumed, and warmed. Thanks, Chi-Chi, Sunny said. Chi-Chi only looked at Sunny with stunned, puffy eyes. They hugged and didn't let go of each other for several minutes. Wait, Sunny finally said, pulling away from her friend. I have to do something. She stood up and brought out her juju knife and did the flourishes. When Anatole had shown her, she noticed that the shape he'd drawn in the air reminded her of Sabidi. It was a skeleton of lines that was then dressed up with loops and swirls. When she finished, a strong force blew through her flesh, leaving a green mist in the shape of herself, facing her. She stepped away from it, feeling her nose tingle. What is that? Chi-Chi asked. Residue from the wilderness, Sunny said. She blew, and the green lost its shape and began to separate and mix into the air. You were in the wilderness, Orlu said. Partially, I think. Maybe that's how I saw Ekwensu. It was like she pulled me in. Like turning someone's head to look, Chi-Chi said. Sasha nodded. She waited to catch Sunny when she was weak. It wasn't you she wanted to see. It was Anyanwu. I think the river beast was also a diversion, Chi-Chi added. 
so Sonny could be too weak and distracted to stop Ekwensu from tearing into the physical world. The four of them were quiet for a moment. Chi-Chi turned to Oru. So, what happens if you don't get rid of the residue? She'll get sick, Oru said, physically. Sunny sneezed and rubbed between her eyes. Bless you, Oru said. Let's cross and get you something to eat, Chi-Chi said, helping Sunny up. Then I want to hear all the details, she said. She glanced at the river and then leaned closer to Sunny and whispered, It's time to deal with the river bees. Sunny nodded. It's such a sellout siding with Ekwensu like that. Do you think you can cross? Chi-Chi said. I mean, you don't have to. I'll cross, Sunny said. This time, I'll glide so it's fast. The soccer field and Leopard Knox were the two places she felt she belonged. She was not about to let the river bees rob her of one of those one of those. She rubbed the black stone and stepped up to the bridge. But she knew as soon as she raised her head and looked at the narrow bridge, that even if she wanted to, her foot would not move. She felt pain at the tips of her sandaled feet as if she'd knocked them against the wall. She stumbled back, her eyes wide. What? She looked at her friends, tears filling her eyes. Sunny, what is it? Chi-Chi screeched, grabbing her hands. Are you all right? She, she's not there, Sunny said. I, I can't bring her forth. Eh? My spirit face, I can't. What's happening? And Yanmu, where are you? Her toes ached, and she felt the world swim around her. The spot between her eyes where the bead had hit her felt warm and itchy. Here, Oru said, putting an arm around her waist. Lean on me. You can't call your spirit face? Sasha asked. How can that be? He looked at Chi-Chi and blinked. Oh, I can't even imagine that. Chi-Chi nodded, but frowned for him to shut up, and this made Sunny panic even more. She couldn't cross the bridge without Enyan Wu. Who was she without Enyan Wu? Where had Enyan Wu gone? She has to be with you somehow, Chi-Chi said. Your spirit face isn't just a face. It's you, your spirit memory, your spirit future, your chi. You'd be dead if she weren't there. You're probably just in shock. You need some jollof rice and stew and fanta. Come on, we don't have to go to Leopard Knox today. I know a nice lamb restaurant where we can get some good food. Yuzomo's Chinese restaurant was small and almost full to capacity. They managed to get a table near the back of the restaurant. Sasha and I come here all the time, Chi-Chi said, trying to sound cheerful. 
though the food is terrible. I ordered the egg rolls here once, and they were just a boiled egg stuffed in a hard roll, Sasha said, putting an arm around Chi-Chi. Sunny attempted and failed a smile. You alright? Orlus asked. No, she muttered. She felt dehydrated and ready to fall asleep right there at the table. The four of them looked at one another with wide eyes and solemn faces. None of the people in the busy open-air restaurant could have imagined what they'd recently been through. I I feel like an alien, oh, Sunny said. I don't belong anywhere. She was dry, warm, and smelled good, thanks to Chi-Chi. She was wearing her favorite jeans and a white t-shirt, and they were dry. Unlike those of all the other Africans in the restaurant, her thick, bushy afro was blonde with a comb given to her by Mami Wata herself. Her skin was pale yellow-pink, and her eyes were hazel. She'd just seen Ekwensu succeed in coming into the physical world, and she couldn't find Enyangu. You belong with us, Oru said. You are a leopard person. Ekwensu is back, she whispered. She will kill everything. But first, she will kill me. You sure you want me with you? You don't know for sure what you saw, Oru said. You can do things with time sometimes. You don't know if that was the future or what? They were all silent for a moment, the happy chatter of everyone else swelling around them. They ordered puff puffs, one the only Nigerian dishes on the menu. In America, Nigerians explained to non-Nigerians that they were Nigerian donuts, a description that Sunny always found annoying. It was verbal shorthand that sold Puff Puff short. They are sweet, soft, perfectly round pastries that were simply what they were. Sunny also ordered a large bottle of water. When the waiter bought the Puff Puffs and water, she drank it all and ate five large Puff Puffs, feeling more like herself with each yummy bite. The others quietly watched her as she drank and ate. Finally, Sunny took a deep breath and leaned forward. The others did so too. Do your spirit faces ever talk to you? She asked. When they looked at her with perplexed eyes, she sat back and gazed at them for a long time. She bit her lip, frowned, and then just spilled it all. She told them how Anyanwu was her and she was Anyanwu. But Anyanwu spoke to her and she spoke back. Why not? Who else would she tell? Who else had her back? And now Anyanwu was gone. Sunny was glad for the noisy atmosphere. It covered up the cracking and wavering in her voice as she spoke. Then she told them about her dreams of the end of the world. When she finished, she wiped the tired, confused tears from her eyes and ate the last puff puff.
Who are you, Sonny Noazu? Chi-Chi asked, imitating the gin from the basement as she took Sonny's hand. Oru was staring at Sonny. I'm two people, and one of me is missing, Sonny said. Maybe you just need rest. Yeah, and you're a free agent, so your spirit face is new to you, Sasha said. Maybe that's why it feels like a completely separate person. And yours is old. That's a lot of memory. And not just old, busy, Chi-Chi added. We're all old. Olu and I have been seen to see the seer, Bola. And we know things about our past lives. We just don't talk about it. Sasha too. Yeah, I saw the Gula seer in North Carolina. He said, she told me I'd done all sorts of crazy shit over the centuries. Slave rebellions of all kinds and some other wahala in the wilderness. On some level, I'm aware of it. It's all good. Sonny smiled, feeling a little better. I used to talk to my spirit face when I was little, Oru said. Me too, Chichi said. But Ekwensu, Oru said. What is it between you and one of the most powerful, scariest beings around? And Yanwu is powerful, so she will have powerful enemies and friends, Chichi said proudly, squeezing Sunny's hands. Word, Sasha said. What you did to those confraternity guys, Sunny, that was you, not an Yanwu. I was just protecting my brother, Sunny quietly said. No, that couple guy got so spooked that not only did he become born again, but his hair has gone gray. I was at Chukwu's hostel yesterday, Chi-Chi said. He said, she froze. Then her eyes cut to Sasha. Oru dropped his face in his hands and shook his head. Oh, God. What? Sasha screeched, his voice cracking. Oh, come on. Chi-Chi said, her voice shaking. It was, it was just, just what? Girl, tell another lie. All you do is lie. You're a pack of lies and you think no one notices. Shasha glared at her with pure disgust and rage. Anufia! Kai! Olu screeched. Sasha! We're sitting here asking Sunny who she is. We should be asking you, Chi-Chi. Sasha snapped, ignoring him. He stood up. Chi-Chi stood up too. Who do you think you are? Chi-Chi said, pointing in his face. You don't own me. She turned and thrust her backside rudely at Sasha. Sasha's eyes grew wide, his nostrils flaring. He looked ready to explode. Come on, Olu said, pushing the fuming Sasha along. Let's take a walk. Sunny was beyond relieved when Sasha allowed himself to be shoved along. I'll get him on an Okara back home. Chi-Chi, can you get Sunny home? Yes, yes, Chi-Chi snapped. Sunny, 
We go to Bolas on Saturday, okay? He added. I think it's time. I meet with sugar cream on Saturdays and you meet with Taiwo. Yeah, we'll go in the morning, Olu said. It'll just be a one long day. Sunny slowly nodded. Chi-Chi kept her back turned as she muttered, Nonsense. You haven't seen nonsense yet? Sasha shouted over his shoulder. Pico, please, just stop, oh, Olu said, pushing him along. What the hell did I do? Sasha asked Olu. Just be quiet until... Their voices lowered and faded as they left the restaurant. Only then could Sunny relax. She hated seeing Sasha and Chi-Chi fighting. Although it was more than inevitable, she'd seen Chi-Chi getting into Chupu's jeep at least twice in the last two days. If her father had any idea his son was visiting home without stopping by to say hello to them, he'd be appalled. Chuku was supposed to be immersed in his studies. He was, but he was also falling in love with Chi-Chi. At the same time, Chi-Chi treated Sasha with the same affinity. And though just about every teenage leopard girl younger and older in the area was infatuated with Sasha and his American bad boy ways, it was only Chi-Chi whom Sasha gave his real time to. So, Chi-Chi, what are you going to do? About what? Chi-Chi asked as she applied some fresh lip gloss. Even from where she stood, Sunny could smell its fruity aroma. You know what? Sunny rolled her eyes, and Chi-Chi smirked. Maybe I'll let them fight it out Zuma wrestling style, she said. To the death! It'll be like you and have... I'll be like you and have my own guardian angel. You seem to keep forgetting that you are talking about my brother and my good friend, Sonny snapped. These aren't just two random boys. I know, I know, she paused and then said, I don't know. You don't know what you're going to do? No, Chichi said, growing serious. I like them both. Wish I had it easy like you. You and Olu are made for each other. I don't know about that, Sunny said quietly. Chichi smiled and shook her head. So, you've been to Mr. Muhammad's wife? Sunny called. Call him, call him Al-Haji Muhammad. He made his pilgrimage a few weeks ago, Chichi said. Oh, Sunny said. That's why that other guy was managing the bookstore for so long. I happened to be there the sunny Sunday he entered or returned, Chi-Chi said. It was crazy. He was actually giving discounts on books. Well, for a few hours. They both laughed. Al-Haji Muhammad was a businessman to the bone. Haj or not. But yes, I've been to Cibola. Chichi said, with my mother once, some years ago. What for? We can talk about some other that some other time. She looked at Sunny unsmilingly. Then Chichi's smile came back. Bola Yusa. They call her 
the woman with the breast down to here. She gestured with her hands to her mid-waist level. She is an Owamari initiate. Sunny gasped and stopped. A Momiwata worshiper? Is she a leopard person too? Yeah. This was the water worshiping group that Chichi had let Chupu think Sunny was a part of. Sunny touched the comb she wore in her hair. Should I take this out when I go? Oh no, Chichi said. That'll get you much, much respect. She'll love you for that. And she'll love that the lake and river beasts can't seem to get enough of you. Even if it's because they are Ekwinsu's minions. Sunny waited until right before bed to try it. She locked her bedroom door and on shaky legs, walked to her window. She usually raised the screen just a crack so that her wasp artist could come and go as it pleased. Now, she pushed the screen to the top of the windowsill and waited. It didn't take long. She watched the mosquitoes slowly fly in, pushed by their own ambition and the night's breeze. When she counted five, she shut the screen and brought out her juju knife and worked a carry go, a juju that drove away insects with the intent to bite. She felt the cool invisible juju sack drop into her upheld hand after she did the flourish with her knife and she sighed with relief. She spoke the words as she watched two of the mosquitoes land near the top of her white bedroom wall. She frowned as she watched one of the mosquitoes migrate to her and then land on her arm. She smashed it with a hard slap. Then she stepped into her bedroom mirror and looked at her face. She ignored her flushed cheeks and the tears rolling down them. She looked into her wet eyes, and with her mind, she called Enwanyanwu. She dug deep within herself, and then she tried to bring her forth. Nothing. Sunny sat on her bed as the sobs racked her body. Images of the river and the menacing Ekwensu flashed through her mind. She crept under her covers and curled herself as tightly as she could. She still wore her sandals and she didn't care. And when she got up in the morning and found an itchy mosquito bite on her arm and two on her left leg, she knew for sure and Yan Wu was gone. Who was she now? End chapter 15. Chapter 16, Head of the Household. When she saw her father that evening, she went to him. It had been a while since they had watched the local news together, but today, Sunny needed his company, and Yanwu was still gone, and Sunny just felt lost. She'd seen him settling down in his favorite chair to watch the news a cold bottle of Guinness on the side table, 
and a bowl of ground nuts on his lap. She sat down on the floor beside his chair, and he'd patted her on the shoulder, pointed at the TV, and said, You heard about this oil spill in the Niger Delta? No, she said. I've been studying. These idiots are. Ah, just watch. Here it is. Turn it up, her father said. She grabbed the remote control and clicked up the volume on the large flat screen TV. A thin old man looked deep into the camera. A microphone held to his face. His voice was reedy, his expression perplexed. I came here when there was no crude, no spillage. Everything was so fine. People were enjoying back then, he said. It's a strange thing to us. How could this occur? Are these oil companies stupid? Uh-uh. They don't know what truth wealth is. How could they? These people aren't from here. As he spoke, oil-drenched riverways, creeks, mangroves, and grassy vegetation were shown. The story cut to a journalist walking through the mucky forest in yellow hip boots as he spoke with a short, young, intense man, also in hip boots, named Murphy Basie, head of the local watchdog group Friends of the Delta Organization. As they walked, they both pinched their noses. What's that smell? The journalist asked in a nasally voice. Murphy stepped over a fallen tree and stopped at a large black puddle in the soaked vegetation. You see this here? It's not water. He brought a piece of yellow paper from his pocket, rolled it up, and stuck the end into the black liquid. Then he brought out a box of matches. When he used one to light the wet part of the paper, it burst into violent flames. He exclaimed, dropping it on a dry patch of vegetation and quickly stamping it out. You see that? He said as he stopped. What is that? This place is already mutilated by oil pipelines. Now the forests and waters are poisoned too. So all it would probably take to set this whole forest and the towns near it on fire is dropping a match in the wrong place, the journalist said, looking very worried. Correct, Murphy said with a bitter chuckle. We won't do that, though. I should hope not. I don't even think you should have lit that paper just now. Murphy nodded, a bit out of breath. I needed you to see, though. Give it a few days and the very air will be flammable. We have more than one oil spill every day here. In an area that's already polluted, Murphy said. These oil companies are so sloppy in their mining of crude oil. They don't care. It's not their home. This new spill happened last night. It is not as big as the Exxon Valdez spill, but it is very, very bad. You see for yourself. Do you see anyone here? No one is doing anything about it. Sonny sighed 
as she watched, trying not to think of her own problems. As Anatole said, the world was bigger than her. In some parts, the world was literally dying. Her father held his bowl of ground nuts down for her, and she took a few. As she shelled one of them, he offered his bottle of beer. You need a sip? he asked. When she looked up and met his eyes, they both burst out laughing. He took a gulp and put the bottle back on the side table, and Sunny popped a ground nut into her mouth. The only woman interviewed spoke in pidgin English and had a shell-shocked look about her. But her words made Sunny's skin prickle and her head feel light. I come to see the water last night. Witten me I see now one big thing we be like animal as it they descend into the water from air. Like some masquerade thing. Uh-uh. Make these people stop wetting them there. Because it don't begin to extract, attract evil or... The woman's heard words hit Sunny hard. She opened her mouth and took a deep breath. A masquerade thing descending into the crude oil-soaked water? Was this Ekwensu? Did that lamb woman just tell all of Nigeria that she'd seen Ekwensu? Sunny remembered when she'd encountered Ekwensu last year at the shrine beside the gas station. The oily, greasy smell like car exhaust. Sunny could imagine Ekwensu tearing open a tanker and then bathing in the freshly spilled crude oil. A substance toxic to the flesh of the earth. If Ekwensu had just forced her way into the mundane world, such a bath would probably strengthen her. Sunny moved closer to her father. He took another deep gulp of his breath and belched loudly. This is not normal, he said. Everything in that creek will be dead by tomorrow. The people are getting poisoned. The whole place could go up in flames. It's not even on national, international news. Sunny slowly got up, her legs feeling like jelly. I should finish studying, she said. Her father grunted, his eyes still on the TV where they were now talking about a murder in Lagos. Fast forward to the next morning when she received her daily leopard newspaper. She didn't find one mention of the oil spill in the entire paper. Her father was right. This wasn't normal at all. In chapter 16. Oh, y'all. So it's getting intense. It's getting real. So I feel like Equinsu is back. I feel like Equinsu is the oil spill. Period. Like I said, on a spiritual level, we have to look at things on an earthly basis and a spiritual basis. So with that whole saying, everything happens for a reason, like, I feel like Enyanwu is there, but she's ignoring her and, like, just doing things like she's in her descendants. Low-key, I feel like that. But then I feel like maybe maybe what that red bead was, maybe it separated them. 
and and Yangwoo is fighting her own battle right now. And it's up to Sunny to stay grounded for and Yangwoo's return. I that's how I feel. Something's telling me that could be happening. Um, but this oil spill, like they said, if it, it's not even on international news, it's not in the Leopard Knox papers. Something ain't right. Then we had dealt with what we dealt with in chapter 15. Like, and Yangwoo kind of, she, she, she really do be trying people though. Like she be trying you. She be trying to see what she can get away with. Um, but yeah, um, apparently, I don't know. It's not confirmed yet, but my gut is telling me Ekwensu is swimming around in that oil. Um, and we're going to see. We're going to see just what happens because Sunny is on top of it. Sunny is on top of it. I do feel like because of what she went through on the bridge and everything else, like her not even able to get to Leopard Knox, all of that, like I feel like she should go to Anatov, tell Anatov what's going on, and then Anatov communicate to Sugar Cream, get Sugar Cream the fuck over here on Lamb side, and then we try to figure out what the fuck going on. Like, these are the elders. They're supposed to, you know, these are mentors. They're supposed to have some type of insight, guidance, something. And I don't like how they're leaving my girl out there to, to just dry, you know? But we'll talk more about that next week, you know, for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed chapters 15 and 16. Next week, we'll be reading chapter 17 and 18. Um, and we're just going to get more and more into this because after Akata Warrior, it's Akata Woman. And then that'll be the end of the Akata series. So I'm, I'm grateful for the people who are sticking it out with me, enjoying the reading. If there's anything that you guys have as far as insights, if I'm stuttering too much, if it's too much background noise, um, if I'm doing things, you know, appropriately, let me know. It's also an encouragement for me. Um, it, it allows me to know that I'm doing this not in vain and there's others enjoying this as well. Um, but yeah, follow me on Instagram at elevated underscore frequency FHZ. And until next week, just wind it down, my love. And slow it down, my love. Don't overwhelm yourself. It's gonna get done. So just wind it down, my love. And slow it down, my love. Don't overwhelm yourself. It's gonna get done. Now stay. Stay true, stay you. And until next time.